0: Monday, everybody. This Monday isn't as bad as some because it uh, it's a holiday for many people, right? Many people have off work today. Martin Luther King Day. Glad to have you along. This is Bob Rowe. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. And on Mondays, we play a comedy, and we're not going to disappoint you today. We have a pretty good comedy lined up. We'll tell you all about it in just a minute. Chester has the show all lined up and ready to go. Uh, Goodbye. Good morning, Chester. And uh, we have all of the uh, comfortable chairs over there, so why don't you just run back there and grab yourself one of those great big recliners. Chester's going to bring you a hot drink here in a minute, maybe a little, uh, some little finger foods. Is that right? So you just sit back and relax. Let the cares of the day drift away, because in just a minute, we're going to come back with this week's old-time radio comedy.
1: Monday, Monday, Monday. Can't trust that day (laughs) Monday, Monday (laughs) It just turned Something for everyone, a comedy tonight! (laughs) Nothing with keys, nothing with clowns.
2: Bring on the lovers, liars and clowns. Ah!
1: Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite.
0: What we have for you this week is an episode that was uh, broadcast on the Old Gold Comedy Theater, which was uh, an anthology series that ran just for one year, 1944-1945. The idea, as I understand it, was to try to do a uh, comedy version, all-comedy version, of the Lux Radio Theater. And uh, one of the problems is it it was a half-an-hour show and not an hour show. It was sponsored by Old Gold Cigarettes, if you remember those. Are they still around? Nobody knows cigarette brands anymore. Are they still around, Chester? You don't know. Well, anyway, they were presented by Old Gold, and um, it was a half an hour show. Just like Lux Radio Theater, they did radio adaptations of pretty much major Hollywood films. And these films had big stars, and many times the same stars that were in the film would appear on the show, and that's what we have tonight. The show was hosted by uh, Harold Lloyd, who was a gigantic star, Hollywood star, in the last years of the silent film era, and he had hung around as a director and whatnot, and uh Preston Sturgis was originally tagged to be the director of this show, but he passed on it and recommended Harold Lloyd, who took the job. Well, it only lasted a year. There was 32 episodes. But the one we have tonight was from uh, April 22, 1945. The show uh, aired on NBC, and it's entitled A Slight Case of Murder. And it is a uh, radio adaptation of a 1938 film by the same name. It features Edward G. Robinson, who also starred in the film and Alan Jenkins, who starred in the film. And we we'll going to talk a little bit about Alan Jenkins on the other side of the show. So relax and enjoy it. This is kind of fun. This, this uh, script was based on a story by Damon Runyon and it is definitely Runyon esque. You can hear it very much in the show, especially. Uh, with Alan Jenkins and some of the other gang members of Edward G. Robinson. So here we go from 1940, uh, what did I say? 1945. This is a slight case of murder.
1: Hollywood, California, the makers of old gold cigarettes present the Comedy Theater. The only radio program that brings you every week the greatest stars in the greatest comedies. Tonight's play, the radio version of the Warner Brothers production, A Slight Case of Murder, starring Edward G. Robinson with Alan Jenkins. And here is the director of the Old Gold Comedy Theater, Mr. Harold Lloyd.
2: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. For tonight's play, we have selected a nice, cheery little item entitled, A Slight Case of Murder. It's a story that deals with a benevolent gentleman, a former bootlegger of some importance, whose tenderness of heart is equaled only by his firmness of mind. For such a role, whom could we have chosen but... Me? But Edward G. Robinson.
3: I, um, I checked my guns
2: at the door, Harold. <laughs> Good. Although we all know that in real life, you're hardly the kind of a person you've portrayed so often on the screen.
3: Well, which is rather a fortunate thing. Otherwise, think of what might have happened to the population of this country.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a relief to know that you prefer collecting musical albums rather than machine guns. However, in the play, you're Remy Markle, a man whose beer kept a lot of people from being thirsty during Prohibition. But when prohibition was repealed, I
3: decided to go legitimate. I called the boys in and I said to them, Boys, from now on, we're going to be legit. From now on, this ain't no still. It's a brewery, see? It's going to have real class, just like any business enterprise. So, uh, dump the artillery. And did they? Well, there was a little grumbling. The boys felt kind of naked without their persuaders, but they
0: dumped the (laughs) stuff.
3: They dumped it and we went into business making real beer. Mm Mm-hmm. The only thing was, I wasn't accustomed to doing things legitimate. Also, my beer wasn't so good, so after a while, I found myself in a kind of a hole. I owe the bank 40 grand, and I didn't have it. Mm. You see, I'd send my daughter Mary to Europe to get a fancy education, and that cost dough. So when the bank threatened to foreclose on the brewery, I didn't have it. What did you do? Well, I got my wife and my daughter and my boys together, and we all drove up to a house I used to rent in Saratoga for the racing season. Mary had gone to her room, and I was talking to my wife, Nora, in the library.
2: Oh, it's
4: well being back here.
3: Yeah, it is a nice dump, isn't it?
4: For example, Remy, observe the architecture. The what? The way the joint is laid out.
3: Oh. <laughs> hey, boss. Yeah?
4: Mike, since you've been a servant, you ain't learned nothing. You call Remy, sir, I'll bet your ears off.
3: Okay. I mean, uh, yes, ma'am. Hey, sir. Oh, well, what's the matter, Mike? Well, I went into your bedroom to open up a couple of the windows. Well, that was very thoughtful of you, Mike. Yeah, only, uh, I don't think you can use that room. Why not? There seems to be some people in it. People? What people? How many people? Well, there's, uh, four fellas sitting around in chairs.
4: Did you tell them to get out?
3: Well, i tell you, I thought I'd speak to them about it, but, uh, them people are in no position to listen to much. <laughs> they don't seem to be alive. What, you mean they're dead? Well, that's about what it comes to, boss.
4: I never heard of such gall in my life. What does the landlady mean by going away and leaving four dead people in the house? It ain't sanitary.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Nora. Uh, Mike, uh, what was wrong with those fellas? Well, boss, somebody shot him. Shot him? Uh-huh. Right in that room. Interrupted their card game, too. One fella had a full house. They're sitting there just as natural as anything.
4: Well, you gotta get them out of there. I can't have people like that around the house. What did the neighbors think? What did Mary's fiance, that whiteboard fellow, what did he think of becoming while they were there? What
3: would anybody think? Uh, we better call up the board of health and tell them we want to use that rule. Boss. <laughs> I don't think you'd better do that. I don't think we want any outsiders in on this. You know who those fellas are? Who? One of them is Little Dutch. Little Dutch? Then there's Black Hat Gallagher, No Nose Cohen. And the other's a feller I don't know. He must be a total stranger.
4: What difference does it make who they are? Now,
3: wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, uh, say, those are the fellas I had a lot of trouble with in the old days. They tried to see me a couple of times before. Carrying guns, too.
4: Were they mad
3: at you? Well, they used to own the brewery before I owned it. They claimed i never paid them for it.
4: <laughs> Did you?
3: No. Well, that was... Uh, that was before I was legitimate. Oh. Yeah, and the trouble with those guys was I could never get over the feeling They had some right to that bureau Because they started it Well, they must have had an argument upstairs And shot it out Yeah, now the worst of it is Some people might get the wrong idea About them being found in my house like this Why can't people let bygones be by... Uh, Mike, Uh, get Lefty and Joey here I think they would be interested Sure Oh, well, Mike Yeah? Which one had that full house? Little Dutch I thought so Hmm. Lucky Fink, that little
1: Dutch. <laughs> the
3: boys uh, nearly got the car loaded, Mike. Yeah, one more stiff to go. Uh. <laughs> Damn bombs! That's just the kind of a dirty trick those fellas would pull. Leaving themselves in that kind of shape around your house. Yeah, that little Dutch never had no consideration for other people's feelings. Say, are you sure you boys didn't have a hand in knocking them off? No such luck.
1: Hey, boss.
3: Uh, got them all in the car, Joe? Yeah, yeah, look, I got it all figured out. These must be the fellas who was knocked off... They knocked off that bookie's truck at the racetrack yesterday. Remember, it was in the papers. Yeah, maybe you got something there. They knocked off the guy driving the truck, didn't they? Yeah, oh. and they didn't get no dough. Oh, boy, the joke was sure on them. <laughs> then after they pull that job, they come straight here to take up that old matter to Bury with the boss. Yeah, some noise. Reopening all wounds and me legitimate for years. They're all aboard, boss. The car's ready to go. Well, thanks, Lefty. Now... <laughs> Now, uh, let's take those people and throw them away somewheres. Where? Say, boss, you know that gentleman jockey, Mr. Brent? Yeah? I bet on a horse of his out at Belmont one day, and I think he pulled a goat. I know he pulled that goat. Though I hate to say anything against a gentleman jockey. Say, boss, how would it be like to leave one of these stiffs on his doorstep? Well, that's fine. I don't care much for a gentleman jockey myself. How about little Dutch for Mr. Brent? Oh, why not? We'll leave Black Hat Gallagher at Briggs Cottage around the corner <laughs> Joe Briggs Welshed on me when he was making book of Jamaica Hey, boss, there's a fella I don't like He runs a restaurant downtown Uh-uh, we can't take any downtown Uh, Willie one on, uh, Colonel Jake Schultz's lawn Yeah, the Schultz Bury guy Yeah, once he told it around I was making chemical beer <laughs> Well, we'll give him no-nose corn, he's the ugliest How about uh, picking a spot for that stranger? He ain't no rose. Hey, boss, can't I keep just one of them in the kitchen till later? I'll take them downtown myself. It'll be no bother for you. Yeah, no, we gotta get them out right away. Nora's getting sore. How about giving the little stranger to Marshal Preston, that blue nose, who's always wanting to make horse racing illegal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, come on, let's get started. Oh, so he wants to close down the tracks, huh? Well, okay, he gets the stranger. Uh, Mike. You're staying with the missus. Me mm-hmm. and the other boys will make the deliveries. Oh, boss, Lefty went last time. We never have no now, fun. you heard me stick here. You're getting spoiled. Always thinking of your own pleasure. Get going, Joe. Okay. Hey, this is sure some swell driveway in front of the house. Hey, boss. Yeah? It's a state trooper turning in. He's heading toward us. Well, you know what to do. Step on it. You missed him. What's the matter with you lately, Joe? (laughs) I don't know. It's a life I'm leading, boss. I was much better when I was illegitimate.
1: And now back to Harold Lloyd and the second act of tonight's Old Gold Comedy Theater presentation, A Slight Case of Murder. Starring Edward G. Robinson with Alan Jenkins. All right, Mr. Lloyd.
2: Well, while Marco and the boys were out making their little deliveries, the state trooper they missed drove up to the front door of the Marco home, rang the doorbell, and when Mary answered it, he promptly kissed her. Which, considering Mary, was the only intelligent thing to do.
4: Oh, Mary, darling. Oh, Dick. Hey, let's not talk. Let's Let's just... not. Mother is here, and I... Dick, what on earth are you doing in that uniform? Well,
3: remember you told me back in Paris that you wouldn't marry me unless I stopped living on my father's money and got
1: myself a job. Yeah? Well, I got a job as a state trooper.
4: Oh, I'm not sure. Mike told me there was a copper in here. Oh, you're
1: Mrs. Marco, aren't you?
4: What of it? Oh, Mother, this is Dick. Oh. Oh! Oh, oh, forgive me for my harsh tone, Mr. Whitewood. But you must remember my shock, thinking it was the law. It was only you. Uh, How did you ever happen to take up uh, trooping?
1: Well, I was stopped for speeding in Westchester one day, and I... Did you beat
4: the rap? I beg your pardon. Oh, where is Dad, Mother? Oh, he should be back at any moment now. He um, went out. It'll be very interesting having a policeman in the family, I hope.
3: Oh, Mama, I... Oh, copper Are you in this house on any business? Well, no, sir, I... Well, then get out of here, get out You've <laughs> got plenty of gall walking into an honest man's house I don't have to stand for any coppers around me now Oh,
4: but father, Remy, he's... he's...
3: I don't care who he is, I don't want no cops frowning my joint
4: Bemmy, he's Mary's intentional, uh, He intended, he's going to marry her What? This is Dick Whitewood, father
3: But you never told me your boyfriend was a cop
4: he just became one father.
3: Well, he should have resisted that temptation.
4: <laughs>
3: Coming around dressed up like that, scaring people.
4: Uh, why don't you two run out and have your dinner with Dick's father? I'll square the beef here. Oh, come on, Dick. We'll give Remy time to get used to the idea.
3: All right, but we'll be seeing you later.
1: I'll bring my aunt's dad over.
3: Hey, Mary doesn't think for one minute I'm going to let her marry a copper. Why, we'd never be able to hold up our heads again
4: Why, Remy, ain't you forgetting that we're on the side of law and order ourselves Well,
3: sure, but we don't have to have it right in the house
4: Remy Oh, Remy, he loves Mary, and Mary loves him Just like you and I used to be Yeah,
3: but I was was never no copper
4: Well, don't hold no man's job against him, Remy If he's so stupid he can't get no other work, let him be a copper (laughs) Come on, have your dinner and you'll feel better
3: All right, all right Say, uh, you don't suppose he gets a pleasure out of arresting people? You know, there are coppers in this world like that. How's it cooking, Joe? Oh, all right. Only it's kind of dull. If this legit stuff keeps up much longer, I'm going to kiss you guys goodbye. Goodbye. And spend the rest of me days in an old lady's home.
1: Oh, cheer up, will you, Mike? I hit the boss up for something on our back wages and he gave give us 50
3: bucks on account. Gee, I didn't think he was that low. Even lower. Unless he digs up 40 grand by tomorrow, that guy post from the bank is going to foreclose on a jury. Then we're out of everything. Marcus should have never gone legit. Well, he couldn't have kept prohibition from being repealed all by himself, could he? <laughs> hey, I've been looking at this paper here. There's an offer of ten thousand bucks reward for each of those guys who held up the bookie's truck. Dead or alive. You mean those guys that we found and delivered? I'll wait ten grand apiece? Yeah. So what are we waiting for? Leave us go and recollect them. Gentlemen, <laughs> leave us go to work. <laughs> Soup's a long time coming up.
4: Lefty must be trying out a new recipe or something. Remy, I wish you wouldn't take this thing about the boys being a cop so serious. you like him when you get used to him.
3: Oh, I ain't got nothing against the kid. It's just that I don't like his advocation. Oh, uh, Lefty. Oh, uh, Lefty.
4: Oh, we better go see what's holding him up. Oh, there's nobody in the kitchen. You're kidding. Hmm.
3: Oh, uh, yeah, there's a note on the kitchen table. Let's see what it says. Dear boss, we have taken a half hour off. (laughs) Signed, Mike. You know, I'm getting a little discouraged with Mike, Nora.
4: Well, you ought to be after all you've done for him and Gibbs. No, it ain't
3: that. It's just that I can't teach him to spell. Look at the way spells took him with two O's.
4: They ain't got it in them to learn real
3: grammar. Now you and me, Remy, on the phone. Yeah, I'll take it, Nora. Hello, Marco. This is Post. Who is it, Remy? Uh, Post, the guy from the bank. I owe that Dodo. Ah, uh, how are you, Post? I'm all right, thanks. I'm stopping at the Shorford Hotel. Oh. Uh, Marco, the board of directors decided to call your note in. Decided? To... Well, you came all the way up here to tell me that? I have all the papers with me. Unless your note's paid by twelve o'clock noon tomorrow. We have orders to proceed with the foreclosure on the brewery. Yeah, but you, but you can't do that, Post. Uh, look, uh, that brewery's the only thing I got. Uh, look, uh, no, wait, it would be different if I didn't have the dough. I, I got it, but I need it for advertising, you know, uh, a radio. Uh, uh, hello? Hello? He hung up.
4: Remy, does that mean.
3: Yeah. We're broke, Mama. The brewery, the townhouse, everything. Oh, I've been a sucker, a set-up for a bunch of tin horn moneylenders. It was only too, too quick to dish it out when I was making dough, but pull back their ears now when I need it. They're holding a note for a lousy $40,000, and if it ain't paid by tomorrow, everything goes.
4: Well, Remy, we've been broke before. You've been in tough spots you always got out of. You get out of this one. you
3: bet I will. Trouble with me has been I've been playing the other guy's game. I've been trying to be legitimate, and it ain't my racket. I don't know the rules, so I've been behind the eight ball. But beginning right now, I'm going to be illegitimate.
4: Oh, that's the doorbell It must be Dick's old man
3: Oh, well, Whitewood, huh? Okay, uh, let me see Now, here's where Marco goes to work You know what I'm going to do, Nora? I'm going right outside there And sell that guy a half interest in the brewery Well, we got them all back to the house. Yeah, lucky, too. I thought for a minute we was going to lose no-nose cone when Colonel Schultz came along just then.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was a swell idea. Mike telling him no-nose is a friend of ours who got lost in the jag and was just leaning up against his door, resting.
3: (laughs)
4: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Well, look, we can't keep those stiffs in here, in the car. Somebody's liable to come nosing around here. Well, where will we put the stiffs, Mike? Well, we found them first, I guess. Up in the boss's bedroom they will be, uh... will be more private there. Well. Well, sir, you're Dick's old man, Mr. Whitewood. I guess that's why you look like him, huh? Uh, have a glass of beer. I never drink, sir. Oh, that's too bad. Oh. Uh, like my library? Had some books put in. Oh. Isn't that customary? <laughs> hmm? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Mr. Marco, after meeting you and your wife, I'm deeply concerned, sir. I'm afraid... Oh, you the... mean about them getting married? Oh, that's all right, sir. Uh, you can stop worrying. Oh, really? But, Mr. Marco, perhaps I should explain that we Whitewoods came over on the Mayflower... Now, and... don't apologize, Mr. Whitewood. Oh. <laughs> I apologize, sir. I don't I... hold a man's past against them. Uh, now, look, Mr. Whitewood, to prove it I like you, I'm going to let you become a partner in my brewery. You are? Yeah, for a lousy 40 grand. But I don't... Uh, furthermore, I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, I got my picture on the bottles. When you're my partner, I'll put your picture on the cans. <laughs> Mr. Marco, this is ridiculous, sir. I have no intention of investing in any brewery and... Uh, what? Oh, what's, what's the matter? My my heart, I get these attacks. Oh. I, I must lie down. Well, oh, say that's too bad. Uh, huh? Well, I, I know you 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 go right on up to my bedroom, lay down there. Uh, <laughs> first door to your left at the head of the landing. Now you go on, go on. I'll explain to the folks, and while you're up there, you think over my proposition. Uh, go on now. Thank you. It uh, should ought to be nice and peaceful up there. Absolutely nothing to disturb you. And well, he didn't sound so enthusiastic. Maybe he. Boss. Boss. Uh, go away, Mike, but well, yeah, I'm thinking. But I got something to tell you. It ain't important. Nothing is important except raising 40 grand for that foreclosure but That's and... what I want to tell you about. Hmm? You remember those four fellows we found up in your bedroom? Well, sure. Well, there was a 10 grand reward out for them. 10 grand for each of them. Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Ten times four? Makes 40 grand. Yeah, what we give them away. Now, boss. Me and the boys brought him back Mike Mike, you're a good boy <laughs> Well, then all we gotta do is turn him over No, we can't do that On account of the cops might be suspicious of us uh, Where'd you park the stuffs? Right in the same room where we found him In the closet And th- You mean up in my bedroom? Yeah We figured they was accustomed to that room But Whitewood just <laughs> went up there He ain't well Suppose he was accidentally to open that closet nah, Nothing like that ain't liable to happen Boss, don't look now. But is that Whitewood at the head of the stairs?
1: Help! Murder! Police!
3: That is Whitewood.
1: And now back to Harold Lloyd and the third act of tonight's Old Gold Comedy Theater presentation, A Slight Case of Murder, starring Edward G. Robinson with Alan Jenkins. All right, Mr. Lloyd.
2: Well, if you're going to have corpses around the house, it's nicer to have them worth $10,000 apiece, which is what the corpses Remy Marco had were worth. Unfortunately, he couldn't afford to have them found dead. People might think things. Which makes it a ticklish proposition when Mr. Whitewood, who didn't care for Remy anyway, apparently found them in Remy's bedroom closet and came staggering out, screaming... Help!
4: Police! Murder! What's wrong?
2: Father, what
3: happened?
4: Remy, what's the old gent yelling about?
3: Mr. Marco. Uh Yeah, I went to the closet to hang up my coat. And, Mr. Marco, there are four of your friends in that closet with guns. Well, can you imagine that? Well, can it be that uh, somebody's intruding on Marco? One of them attacked me, and the others in the closet shook their fists and waved their guns. (laughs) Boss, he thinks they're alive. I know, I got an idea. Say, um, I just thought uh, those people up there must be the ones who held up that truck. Yeah, that's it, boss. Them there parties are the bandits. But
4: Dick, bandits, do something right away. Uh, uh, Oh,
3: uh, all right. Where's the phone? Uh, Over there, Dick. What are you going to do with the phone?
1: Why... Well, just this. Hello. Operator, this is the Marco place. What do I want? I want a policeman. But, Dick,
3: you're a policeman.
1: Huh? Oh, I forgot.
3: Well, that gives me an idea. Young fellow, here's your big chance. Big chance for what? To become a hero. Oh, right. Uh, boss, what do you think he's doing? Taking out his gun and standing at the foot of the stairs. Hey, what do you think you're doing, Dick?
1: I'm guarding
3: the stairway. Get a load of that, boss. He thinks they'll all leave by the front door. That's no good with you. When the other cops come, they'll find the steps upstairs already dead. I got it. Uh, uh, look, Dick, uh, do you want to make a big shot out of yourself? How? Well, you go up to that room and order them to come out of that closet with their hands up. But suppose they don't. I lay a 500 to 1, they don't.
0: <laughs>
3: well, so, if they don't, or even if they hesitate, Dick... You start popping uh, Don't try to open the door Or they'll shoot your ears off Yeah, they're dead Shot. <laughs> don't you think it'd be wiser To wait for reinforcements? Young man, you're wearing The uniform of your country uh, Anyways, your state Do you want people To say you disgraced it? He's right, my son You're a whitewood Oh, well, uh, come on Come on, uh, Me and Mike will go with you uh, Mike, take his other arm And we'll help him upstairs Okay, boss That's my son don't apologize, Pop. You can't help it. Hey, hey, Dick. Walk a little bit. Well, uh... Me and Rummy can't carry you all the way. Well, here we are in the bedroom. Hmm, the closet door is locked. Mike, uh, let go of him. Uh, Dick.
4: Huh?
3: Order them to come out.
4: Oh. Tom,
3: come out with your hands up or I'll shoot. Well, they don't seem to be coming out. Surprise i I better do Well, uh, seeing it's a rented house, I kind of hate to do it, but you better shoot uh, All right You hit the chandelier
1: <laughs>
3: You better try keeping your eyes open, Dick And aiming a bit lower, say uh, seven or eight feet Oh, no, okay, I, I, I'll try boy. Maybe the closet door ain't uh, quite as big as the side of a barn, but you can't miss. Go on, let it go. Oh, what, on what on
4: earth? What happened? Dick, are you all right?
3: Son, son. Well, nice work, Dick. You know, something tells me you got him. Mike? <laughs> Open the closet door. Okay, boss. I think he got him, too. Oh! There goes one falling down. Chip number two. Number three. And number four. Dick, <laughs> you got them all. Hey, boss, the kid fell down too.
4: <laughs> Just
3: fainted. After all, facing a closet full of bandits is a strain. Mary, I give my consent to your marrying him. That boy ain't afraid of nothing. Much. Oh,
4: Dick, darling.
3: Mr. Whitewood, I will reconsider my offer to let you become my partner for forty thousand. Mike, uh, you sure we get ten grand apiece for the stiffs? Sure, uh, Mr. Whitewood. It will now cost you one hundred grand to get your picture on the cans. Uh, Nora. Yes, Remy. After the cops cart the stiffs away, have the boys clean up the room. Oh, and Mike. Yeah, boss. Bring me a bottle of beer. Your beer, my beer. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want, do you want to do? Kill me? <laughs>
2: Well, so closes a slight case of murder. Right now, Edward G. Robinson and Alan Jenkins are thanks to you for a most enjoyable half hour.
3: Well, it's been a lot of fun doing it again, Harold. It was a pleasure.
2: Uh, who's on the old gold roster next Sunday, Harold? We're very happy to welcome next week Jack Haley and Martha O'Driscoll in The Nervous Wreck. Well, I'll be listening. Uh, so will I. Good night, folks, until next Sunday. See you then.
1: A Slight Case of Murder was presented through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of the mirth-provoking picture, Roughly Speaking. The screenplay was written by Earl Baldwin and Joseph Schrank from the original story by Damon Runyon and Howard Lindsay. Edward G. Robinson can currently be seen in International Pictures' Woman in the Window. Alan Jenkins will soon be seen in Universal's Lady on a Train. This is Bob Williams saying goodnight for Old Gold. the National Broadcasting Company.
0: Well, that was Lux Radio Theater from uh, July, or excuse me, April 22nd, 1945. And that was A Slight Case of Murder, and that one featured Edward G. Robinson. He reprised his original role in the 1938 motion picture, as did Alan Jenkins. And of course, as I, we said earlier, that was from a story by Damon Runyon, and you could definitely hear it, couldn't you? Alan Jenkins was uh, really a fun character. If you don't know who he is, just go to Google and Google Alan Jenkins, A-L-L-E-N, and look at images, and you will recognize him immediately. He was born in um, 1900 and was uh, trained as a professional actor, a dramatic actor. He went to Hollywood in the very early 30s, maybe it was the late 20s, and immediately, almost immediately, got uh, a, a couple of contracts. First, I think it was with Paramount, and then later with, uh, with Warner Brothers. But he made a, a career out of playing uh, comic henchmen, stooges, a policemen, taxi drivers, tough guys. He, he appeared in numerous films in the 30s and 40s, especially for Warner Brothers. He was labeled the greatest scene stealer of the 1930s by one of the film critics for the New York Times. If you don't go back that far, and not very many of us do, of course, we've seen these great films. Uh, I can remember watching them on television in the 50s when I was a kid. But they also, still, many of them still appear on like Turner Classic movies. In a more modern time, Jenkins voiced the character of Officer Charlie Dibble on the Hanna-Barbera TV cartoon Top Cat. Remember that, Top Cat? That was sort of a cartoon takeoff of Sergeant Bilko. He was also a regular on the TV sitcom Hey Genie that uh, featured Genie Carson. But the one I really remember him from is he played Muggsy, Who was a friend of, I believe it was Freddie the Freeloader on uh, the Red Skelton show on CBS? What a distinctive voice, great voice, wonderful character actor, Alan Jenkins. Okay, gang, that is going to do it for Monday. This is uh, January the 18th, 2021. We'll be back tomorrow with a drama. So you be sure to join us then. Going to go out tonight with a little TJB. That's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. See if you remember this one. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by and I'm so glad you met me.